0: The gospel this morning comes to us from Matthew 17, verses 1 through 9. This is Matthew's account of the transfiguration of Jesus. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to him Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was saying this, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice says, This is my Son, the Beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up, do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, tell no one about this vision until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. May the Lord bless the reading and the hearing of the Holy Word. You may be seated. Let us pray. Loving and most merciful God, we thank you once again for the many mercies that you provide for us and the assurance that all things will be well with our souls, because you are with us. May the words of my mouth, meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you. Bless, keep, and guide us now and always. In your name we pray. Amen. Matthew's account of the transfiguration. Six days after Jesus had already revealed to his disciples the trials that he would undergo in order to be glorified, he takes his, what I like to call his steering committee, Peter, James, and John, his inner circle. Whenever Jesus was doing something significant, he'd have Peter, James, and John with him. Sometimes you just need a few witnesses. And he brings these individuals up to this mountain, and it is there that he reveals his divine presence. He transfigures his face, shone like the sun. His clothes become dazzling white, such as they have never seen before. And if that is not merely enough to see this radiant light passing through through Jesus, he is accompanied by Moses and Elijah. Now, of course, Matthew doesn't give us uh, the description as to how it is. They came to understand that this was Moses and Elijah, but they are in a conversation together with Jesus for which we don't have the contents of that conversation. But we do know that the vision of Jesus interacting with these two biblical figures was so incredible that Jesus is so caught up and enamored with what's going on. So Matthew directs our attention to Peter. Peter becomes our stand-in. Peter is like, if you were there, you would probably do as I would do. And so Peter wants to make sense of what's taking place. He's never seen anything like this before. He's seen some incredible things because he's done ministry with Jesus. And, but he's never seen anything quite like this. So he wants to try to process. And the best way that Peter wants to process is to bring everything underneath his, his understanding. So he, he interrupts Jesus, because Jesus is having this conversation with these two great biblical figures. And Peter says, Jesus says, it's good that you brought us up here. If, if, if it's okay with you, and if I have your permission, I want to build Three dwelling places. What Peter wants to do is he wants to create a sacred place to commemorate the moment. He wants to be able to have uh, a shrine, uh, perhaps three shrines that would be established on this mountaintop that future generations might be able to come to this place and worship this thing that has happened which they were privy to. So we can't fault Peter. So oftentimes you read in commentaries, everyone's like, "Ah, oh, we throw our hands up. There goes Peter again, mouthing off before he understands everything. It's easy for us to do that from our standpoint. It's easy for us in hindsight to be able to say, Peter, you know, this is quiet time. Grown-ups are talking. You need to just observe what's going on. So it's easy for us to say that, but I guarantee you if something crazy like this happened in front of us, we too be trying to do our best to make sense of it. And sometimes we probably use some words too. So exactly. Thank you. I didn't expect that, but I appreciate that. I do because sometimes when I do want you to laugh, you don't laugh. But but that's good. So we're alive. We're here. We're alive here at Kicking It First Congregational. Come on down and see us. Four twenty nine Main Street, McGregor. I always say that to the camera in case they forget where we're at. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, anyway, back to the Transfiguration. So Peter, grown ups are talking. So now if. If seeing Jesus with a light shining from within is not enough to destabilize the disciples, and seeing Moses and Elijah, and I should give you some insight as to why Moses and Elijah would be there. Uh, Scholars have reported that Moses represents the law of God. I always like to gesture to our Ten Commandments memorial for Barb Schultz that we have here. So God's law was presented to Moses, God's do's and don'ts, what we understand as right relationship with God and right relationship with God's people. That's what the Decalogue signifies. So Moses is there signifying that because Jesus would be the one who would complete and fulfill that law without any brokenness. But why is Elijah there? You've got Elijah who also ascended into heaven in a fiery chariot and he was a significant prophet of of God's. Elijah being there signifies that Jesus will be the fulfillment of God's prophecy, ushering in the completion of this law and bringing people into accordance with with God's new covenant. So we have Jesus having a conversation with these two individuals, and Peter trying to take all of this in and trying to make sense of it. If that wasn't enough, now we have the bright cloud which always is symbolic of the presence of God. When Moses went up on Sinai, it said the cloud came and descended and covered the mountain. Everyone thought Moses was dead, which is why they lost their minds and fashioned a golden calf. They were like, well, Moses isn't going to come back, but we have to have something to signify this this deity that brought us out of Egypt, right? So give us a golden calf. Moses is having that God moment. And that's when God says you have to go down there because the people have lost their way. Well, so now the cloud comes in and not since Jesus' baptism has the voice of God been heard. But this time this voice of God comes to bring back correction to um, a slightly confused Peter. So the voice comes in and says, this is my son, my beloved, whom I am well pleased. And in the very Closing part, which is very important for Peter, disciples, and for us, is listen to him. The voice reaffirms that Jesus, the individual who led you up this mountain, is all you need to focus on right now, Peter. Don't get too caught up with the the guest appearances, the co-starring roles of Moses and Elijah. Don't get too caught up in what you think is happening. The person who led you up this mountain, though he is radiant and full of glory, is still the individual who will lead you the rest of the way. Focus upon him. Do not let your attentions become divided. Do not lose your way in this magnificent moment remember indeed that the person who led you up this mountain will be the one who will lead you back down. Stay attached. Stay connected to him. This is when the disciples fall on their faces. What's kind of interesting is that even though we have Peter, James, and John going up this hill, we only hear from Peter. James and John are just sort of like stupefied in the whole thing. They don't say anything, but they do join Peter in falling on their faces when the voice of God is heard. They, do, they, do, they know the choreography of that one. It's like, hit the deck. So they hit the deck on that one. And then Jesus comes and touches them on the shoulder and tells them, Rise, get up, do not be afraid. It's good. It's this is extra assurance. And he looks like himself again. Right? There's no there's no there's no bright light, his clothes have gone back to sort of normal, dingy peasant color. Moses and Elijah have gone, they got another gig, so they're off someplace else. And Jesus tells them as they head back down the mountain, tell no one of these things until the Son of Man raises from the dead. Now, for those of us who do not like surprises, transfiguration is your story, right? And those of you who hate surprises, you don't like surprise birthday parties, or anniversary parties, you, you, don't, you just don't like guests like showing up unannounced. Really, I, this is your story. And why is transfiguration uh, um, a story that's close to me? And what I like is because the transfiguration is Jesus's way of telling his disciples and his followers that although there will be some, let's let's talk about the disciples specifically, Peter, James, and John. They have been traveling with Jesus. Jesus has told them that he will undergo a great trial. They didn't want to believe that. They didn't want to have ears for that. But he tells them this, and then he also wants them to be absolutely certain that the person they've attached themselves to is the real deal. So he takes just a small core of them up the hill to show them this divine glory within. Now, by allowing them to to see this aspect and this side of Jesus is designed to assuage any fears, any apprehensions that they might have about why they're with him. He wants them to be able to recognize that even as they continue to go forward and even as Jesus gets closer and closer to the cross and they see some really unpleasant things happening, to not fear. Because he has been affirmed by the voice of God. That God's like, this person that you have been following is the person to follow. This is the person who will allow you to remain close to us. Why do you propose that the curators of the lectionary have put the transfiguration right before our Lenten journey. Just a few days before we begin Ash Wednesday and go into Lent. is because the Lenten journey is the time when we are supposed to think about our mortality, we're supposed to think uh, about the season of penitence, right, the brokenness that we have. We try to root these things out of ourselves in this 40-day journey of thinking about what can we do, what do we need to remove in order that we might be able to fill that space with a yearning and a hunger for god it's a season for purification so when you have a journey like that set before you and we are all on a mortal journey right everyone knows this we don't like to think about it we hate to think about that sometimes it's very painful to have to think about the fact that all this will come to an end but it will the transfiguration is designed that that end will not catch you abruptly. That end will not catch you by surprise. That end gives us the courage to take this spiritual journey and to walk it with all confidence. This is why I like not only the placement of the transfiguration story, but the transfiguration story in itself. This is Jesus saying, you are so important to me. You are so significant to me that I am not going to leave you in the dark. And quite literally, the light passes through him. The light passes through him in order that they might be able to say, this guy who is now impersonating a light bulb is going to be the one who is going to connect us to God. Maybe we don't need to go and wait for another. Maybe we don't need to go and sidetrack ourselves. This one right here is the fulfillment of God's law and prophecy. So they can walk with confidence down that mountain Not fully understanding the significance of everything, but understanding that right now their place is with Jesus and Jesus will keep them attached and tethered to God. That is exactly what we need to hang on to as we enter into our Lenten season. And maybe if we took our Lenten season with all the intensity that that it entails, we would appreciate having the transfiguration preceding that. Maybe, maybe what I'm inviting us into is to allow the Lenten journey to, to tug at us with, uh, with, with deeper, deeper strings than it has in previous years. Maybe we, start, maybe we should actually start to think about the frailty of life. Maybe we should think about our mortality. Maybe we should think about the brokenness that, that keeps us at such a distance from deep and meaningful living. And maybe this time we can go with a greater confidence because we know that we do not walk that path alone. Even the psalmist in the 23rd Psalm hearkens to this. I, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I have no fear. Why? Because God is with us. And that's what Jesus wanted that inner circle to know. He didn't need all of them to know. Just significant ones, because if they know, they will have that in their hearts. And when the time comes, they will unpack that understanding to others. Just this morning, as I was scrolling through the news before worship, uh, early Sunday morning, there was another shooting in Memphis. As if Memphis is not having a, a difficult time as it is. Well, one so far, one dead, ten injured. Um, I'm sure on, more of that will unpack Contrast that with the story of people being pulled out of the rubble in Turkey and Syria, still alive and well. I mean, yes, exactly. I mean, it's like praise God. Because when you hear these stories, you go, what is it that sustains them? Right? When you are buried deep underneath the mire, what is it that sustains you? It's got to be this stuff. It's got to be the fact that you were not alone. That there was a God in there that's like, you. hold on now, son. I'm going to whisper to you. I'm going to get you through this. Can you hear the machinery? It's coming for you. It's coming for you. And this is exactly what I want us to understand as we sort of conjure for ourselves that, 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 that mire, that quagmire that we're going to like muddle through during the season of Lent because it's going to get us to Easter. I can't even speak anymore. It will get us to Easter. And when we get ourselves to Easter, Easter will be so much easier to bear because all this time we know we have been walking with the divine. And Jesus didn't say, well, good luck on that journey. I'll see you. I'm going to go on over here and hang out. No, he's like, I will be with you. And who am I? I am the one who is pleasing to God. And with that sort of affirmation, we don't need any other conceit of ourselves. We just need to stay attached to the one who makes the reality of God accessible and and clarifies it and and emboldens and and empowers us. So come, come. Join us on Ash Wednesday as we prepare to begin our our Lenten journey. Uh, Unburden ourselves from this fear, this fear that we have that this life will end. This life is but a prelude of something that's going to be incredible, and I I believe that, and I trust that because Jesus has given me all the confidence and all the insurance that I need, And, and I want to share that with you, and I think we should share it with one another because that is what bolsters and strengthens our faith. It's not through the joys and successes that we have. It's through the trials that we endure and that we are delivered safely on the other side.